What's going on, everybody? My name is Jeremy Cole, and I want to welcome you to a special Sweet 16 preview episode of the J. Cole Sports Talk podcast. And I apologize for not uploading in the past about week and a half, maybe two weeks at this point. But, you know, I've had a lot going on recently. I was actually sick last week and had some unfortunate stuff going on. But I'm ready to jump into the Sweet 16. I'm very excited. It's three, a little over three hours until tip-off of the Sweet 16, starting with Gonzaga, Arkansas. And that's exactly where I'm going to start today. And this game is pretty interesting because you have a storyline of obviously Gonzaga being, whatever, the consensus best team in the nation, kind of like they typically are year after year, versus an Arkansas team that is hot recently, and they came into the tournament on a hot streak. And it's definitely an exciting matchup. I mean, almost all of these Sweet 16 matchups are very, very exciting. But this is a you know a great one to start off the you know the end of the week with and start the Sweet 16 off with. So I'm gonna just jump right into it. Gonzaga, last that I checked, is a nine and a half point favorite, and this isn't too surprising for me because they you know they kind of looked like the best team in the nation recently, and they had a strong win against Georgia State in round one. That was actually a, a little bit better of a game than I expected early on, and they pulled away late which was not surprising, but then they had a tight game against Memphis in round two, and that was a much tougher matchup for them because Memphis actually is able to match up with them pretty well. You know, Memphis is an athletic team. They have some length too, so the dynamic duo of Timmy and Holmgren on Gonzaga were, you know, not as effective or scary against a team like Memphis, but Gonzaga, you know, they go on huge runs in a very short amount of time. And, you know, it seemed like in round one against Georgia State, it was a pretty tight game. And then out of nowhere, it was a 15 point game or double digit point game in a matter of a minute or two. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the play of Timmy and Holmgren. I mean, they are both very, very tough to guard. They're matchup nightmares for teams that, you know, there's very few teams in the NCAA or even college basketball as a whole across all divisions that have people that can match up with multiple seven-footers, especially Holmgren that's so long, and then Timmy with the incredible footwork. It's extremely, extremely difficult for them, um, for opponents to match up with them. And interestingly, Gonzaga, they've been to the Sweet 16 the last six years, and they've gone to the Elite Eight in four of those six years. And this is a year that I would expect them to continue that streak, and I would expect them to go to a fifth Elite Eight out of seven years. And they actually are coming off of a streak of scoring 80-plus points in four straight games. So I would expect them to light it up, um, except they're facing an Arkansas team that you know, they beat Vermont and New Mexico State in the first two rounds, but Arkansas really relies on their guard play compared to Gonzaga with the big men, but, you know, Gonzaga has very skilled guards as well, but Arkansas definitely focuses on their guard play, specifically J.D. Note. He is great for them. He's got, when he gets downhill and attacks the basket, that is when they are playing their best basketball, and he's playing his best basketball, except it's very interesting, you know, it's going to be tough for him to get downhill and attack the basket against the likes of Timmy and Holmgren. So, you know, J.D. Note is also a great defensive player. He had nine steals, believe it or not, against New Mexico State in round two. And Arkansas team defense as a whole is pretty strong, and they suffocated the three-point line against New Mexico State in the first half. But then they adjusted by attacking inside and going inside instead. But, you know, as I mentioned just now, that'll be very interesting to see kind of what happens with that because of how good Gonzaga is inside, you know, at their interior defense. 
And as I said, Arkansas is a very hot team right now and heading into the tournament. I have them coming all the way into the Sweet 16, but I have them losing to Gonzaga. But they are 17-3 and in their last 20 games. So, you know, they're hot right now when it matters most, except they have a very tough opponent in Gonzaga. So this will be a great game to start off the day, but I think Timmy and Holmgren will just be too much at the end of the day. Moving on, you know, I'm going to cover division, or sorry, not division, but, um, you know, sides of the bracket, quadrants each by themselves. And Gonzaga and Arkansas are in the West, and the other West matchup is the third game of the day today on Thursday between Duke and Texas Tech in what I think will most likely be the best game of the day or tied for the best game of the day. Duke, I believe, is a one-point favorite. I saw some other books had Texas Tech as a one-point favorite. This is really, really a toss-up and is a great game. There's a lot of great storylines going into this one, starting with Duke. You know, they beat Cal State Fullerton in the first round, and they had a good game against Michigan State in the second round. They almost lost that one, but went on a big run at the end uh, to win the game. They looked inspired. You know, the Coach K storyline last year it looked like they're trying to win for him and they're playing for him and you know interestingly coach k is actually seeking his 100th tournament win heading into this game but duke as a whole is their very balanced team they have great guards um palo bancaro looks like he's a total nba talent he is you know his playmaking is great but then his scoring is really where he stands out some of his dribble players dribble moves and um, you know, his hesitations, his pivot plays, like he looks like an NBA talent for sure. And I know he's, you know, most likely going to be a top three pick in the draft this year, but they also have, you know, they have a great big in Williams. AJ Griffin will be good to go after spraining an ankle, uh, in the second half against Michigan state. And they are just the epitome of a very young, but very talented team. And it compares in a very interesting way to Texas Tech because they are the much more experienced and they are a very physical team. And Texas Tech demolished Montana State in round one, and they had a very good win against Notre Dame in round two. And this will definitely be their most, you know, their most difficult matchup of the tournament thus far. Same with Duke, even though they had a nail biter of a game against Michigan State. But Texas Tech prides themselves on their defense, and they will force you out on the wings, and they will force tough shots. So they will, you know, they'll force the likes of Bancaro to have to make those tough shots that he is able to make. But this really is a tough matchup for Duke. And, you know, the main difference, I believe here, is that, you know, Duke doesn't, they're going to have to make some defensive stops in order to, you know, kind of keep up with the defense of Texas Tech. And, you know, on the reverse side, you know, Duke has to be able to, or sorry, Texas Tech doesn't really have the offense or the skilled offense to match Duke. So that's why I said I think this is going to really come down to the Duke defense, because if Duke's defense is able to contain Texas Tech on offense, I think Duke's offense will just be too talented and be able to score too much. Even though I might have Texas Tech in my bracket for this matchup, I think this is as tight as it possibly could be for a Sweet 16 game. And, you know, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing this matchup. This will be a great, great game. Moving on to the south side, or the south quadrant of the of the tournament, we have Villanova versus Michigan as the second game of the day today. And Villanova is, I believe, a five-point favorite as of when I last checked. And, you know, this actually has a pretty interesting storyline heading into it. These two teams played each other in 2018 in the national championship 
in San Antonio where Villanova won. This is not the the buzzer beater game. Uh, that was, you know, multiple years prior, but in 2018 when Villanova won, they played Michigan in San Antonio, and both of these teams are returning to the same arena against the same opponent for the first time. And on Villanova's team, you have the likes of Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels, who were true freshmen back in 2018, but now they're starters. And it's very interesting. I saw some quotes about them saying how, you know, it's obviously a very different situation, but they feel a renewed sense of energy heading in now that they're the ones kind of carrying the torch for Villanova. And they're playing the best basketball of the season by far. Villanova's playing great. They demolished Delaware by 20 in the first round. And they had a strong game against Ohio State in the second round. They won by double digits there as well. And, you know, they're looking really, really good. I really like Villanova in this matchup. But, you know, they're playing a Michigan team that continues to prove the doubters wrong. And, you know, I doubted whether or not Michigan belonged in the tournament or, you know, maybe in a a play-in game. But... You know, in round one, they had a great comeback against Colorado State. And Colorado State looked great against them in the first half. But they had a hell of a run. Hunter Dickinson was a problem in the second half. And they had a great win against Tennessee in round two. And Tennessee was one of those teams, kind of like an Arkansas, who came in hot playing their best basketball of the season. But Michigan, you know, they took them down. Hunter Dickinson had a great game. And I think he poses pretty serious matchup issues against a Villanova team that doesn't really play anyone that's above 6'9", 6'10", I don't think. I think their tallest guy is either 6'8", or 6'9". So that is going to be difficult for Michigan, or sorry, for Villanova to deal with. Hunter Dickinson is a problem. Um, But the other issue for Michigan is their defense needs to shut down Villanova shooters because Villanova is a great three-point shooting team and they can make some serious buckets. So, you know, I think that matchup of Hunter Dickinson on offense, you know, that'll be really difficult for Nova, but then Michigan defensively will have to contain the Villanova shooters. And this is actually the fifth consecutive Sweet 16 for Michigan. But this is a good game, you know, there's a very interesting storyline going in with the rematch back from their national championship game in 2018. I thought that was really, really cool to see that, you know, it's all coming back together. It's all coming full circle for that game. And then our final game of the day today is the other game of the day that I think will be, or excuse me, I think will be the game of the day besides the Duke uh, Texas Tech game. This game between Arizona and Houston has the makings of a great, great game. Arizona is a slight point or point and a half favorite. And I think this game is, this is going to be a really tough one. I like Arizona just because I think they're such a great team. But Houston poses serious problems for them. They match up great against them. You know, Houston, they actually lead the nation in field goal percentage defense. They forced 17 turnovers against Illinois, and Arizona actually had 16 turnovers against TCU. So, you know, this is going to be a defensive game for Houston, and head coach Kelvin Sampson has commented that the story of this game will be their toughness and how hard they play and how hard they play on defense. And Houston dominated UAB in the first round. They outplayed Illinois in round two as well. There was a little controversy in that game, I know, with that whole technical foul and causing momentum to shift. But I think Houston is going to pose some serious defensive problems towards Arizona. And Arizona, you know, they got a good win in round one against Wright State. And then that big OT win against TCU in round two. But they did look vulnerable. 
they could have lost if that controversial hip check was called at the end of the second half, that no-call foul at center court. They relied on it, or they, you know, they hit a clutch three to force overtime. They blew a nine-point lead, and they were pushed around by the physicality of TCU. And that's where I think this could be very interesting, because I think Houston will get in their grills and will be very, very physical with them. And the last comment about Arizona is two of their three losses their season were against Tennessee and UCLA. And both of those teams rank in the top 16 of defensive efficiency, according to Kempom. TCU also does, but Houston ranks above all of those teams. So, you know, Arizona almost lost against TCU. And then two of their three losses this year come against tough defensive efficiency teams. And Houston is the best defensive efficiency team that they will face this year. And, you know, they could have serious offensive struggles on Arizona. But, you know, top to bottom, they're so skilled. They have some great big men. They're long. They're lanky. Arizona is a tough team to beat. But if any team could beat them from here on out, Houston probably poses the most problems for them um, from the defensive side of things. So I'm very excited to see this game. You know, Arizona-Houston and then Duke-Texas Tech are by far my two games of the day that you have to watch today on Thursday. And then, you know, Gonzaga-Arkansas, I expect to be a good game. And Villanova-Michigan should be a good game too. Um, But, you know, all in all considered, I like Gonzaga. I like Texas Tech, unfortunately. I apologize to my, you know, one of my cousins who's a big, big Duke fan. But I got Gonzaga. I like Texas Tech. I like Villanova. And then I think I have to stick with Arizona because I have them winning one of my brackets. But that game, I think, could go either way. Same with Duke-Texas Tech. But those are four great games to start off the Sweet 16. Then moving on to Friday, starting with the eastern side of the the bracket, Purdue versus St. Peter's is the first game of the day, and this is a very interesting game because you obviously have a Purdue team that had a great Big Ten this year. Um, you know they didn't win the Big Ten tournament; they were a little bit disappointing down the stretch, and some with some tough losses. But they've been playing good basketball. They had a great game against Yale in round one, and they took down a strong Texas team in round two. And they have a great duo with Jaden Ivey, a great scoring guard for them. And obviously, they have their 7-3 or 7-4 big man, Zach Eady. But their defense is truly their weakness. And they come into this game facing a the Cinderella story team of, you know, every year there's kind of one team that shocks the world a little bit. St. Peter's has really shocked the world, especially beating Kentucky in round one and a great win against Murray State in round two. And, you know, uh, Coach Shaheen Holloway, really is the heart and soul of this team alongside the guard sharpshooter Doug Et- or Eddert or Edert. I apologize. I think it's Eddert. Um, and, you know, Shaheen Holloway has had a great, great, I love this coach. They, they are a tough, tough team. And he has, you know, he has shown through his interviews and everything that they are not afraid of anyone. You know, they took down Kentucky. They can take down anyone. They are not afraid of anyone. They will not back down and they are not scared. And at this point, St. Peter's has, you know, they're kind of playing with house money. They don't have anything to lose. And that's kind of when you're the most dangerous. So, you know, they beat one of the most talented people in Shigwe on Kentucky. And there's no one, no individual player at this point that they are scared of. And there's not a team that they are scared of. Except the only thing working against them is that no 15 seed has ever won a game in the second weekend. And it's really, really tough. I think Purdue is going to be way too much for them, honestly. You know, you could have said that about Kentucky and Murray State. But I think the way momentum works with the tournament is it goes on a week-to-week basis. 
and you know they had a lot of momentum last weekend and they look great but it will be very difficult for them to come into this week or these this round of games and continue that momentum over and i think you know the massive 7374 Zach Eady on Purdue will be a serious problem for them down low even though Shigwe on Kentucky is a big guy he's not 74 big he's a little bit you know thicker and more muscular but he is not that big and then you know Jaden Ivy is a scoring machine i think he'll have a great game too but you know i would love to see st peter's shock the world again but Purdue's a double-digit favorite here, and I have to go with Purdue here. But that's the first game of the day tomorrow on Friday. The other game in the East is UCLA versus UNC, which will be the third game of the evening on Friday. UCLA is a slight favorite, and this is probably my best, or this is definitely my most exciting game of the day for Friday's slate of games. And, you know, it's just too... Two teams that are playing very well right now. UNC is playing extremely well. They might be the hottest team in the tournament right now. UCLA had a rough round one against Akron. They didn't even look good. But then in round two, they do- they dominated a St. Mary's team that looked like you know a powerhouse after de- demolishing my Indiana Hoosiers in round one. God, that was an embarrassing game. But St. Mary's looked like they were going to be a very formidable opponent. And UCLA came in with a great, great game plan and executed very well. The main storyline for UCLA here is Jaime Hawkes' injury, his ankle injury. He is considered day-to-day. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with him, whether or not he's going to play or not. He didn't practice on uh, on Tuesday. He's, you know, I've seen videos of him. He's walking around looking like he's fine, but walking is very different than running and playing basketball. So I don't know exactly what his deal is going to be, but that's huge because he is easily one of the top three most important players for UCLA. Head coach excuse me, head coach McCronin has commented that the problem he has is that he has to plan two different game plans, one with Hawkes and one without him. And I think obviously Hawkes is the big storyline for UCLA, but if he is out, Johnny Juzang has to step up here. I mean, he is the most talented scorer. He's the most talented player on UCLA and he's their best scorer. He had a bad round one and a very mediocre round two and Tiger Campbell has been carrying the team's this year, or in the, the you know in the tournament so far, he has been their MVP by far. So Johnny Juzang needs to step up. He needs to score. You know, if if Hawkins isn't playing, I want to see Juzang twenty plus points for sure. So you know, it, it's time for him to step up and have a good game in this tournament. Um, but then over on UNC's side of things, they demolished Marquette by thirty two in round one, and then they beat Baylor in round two. You know, they were the first people to take out a one seed this year. And that was a controversial game, I guess you could say. They had a huge lead over Baylor in the second half. Then I saw a stat that either 12 of the next 14 or 14 of the next 16 foul calls were against UNC, and Baylor kind of was let back into the game a little bit, but UNC was able to pull it out, so it wasn't too controversial. But I saw a lot of social media you know, buzz going on about that game. Um, but nonetheless, a very impressive win for UNC, and they are... Probably the hottest team in the tournament at this point. Brady Manick has been a sniper for them. He has 20 points in their in five out of their last six game, six games, excuse me. And then point guard R.J. Davis has been a huge difference maker. I mean, his playmaking and his clutch buckets have been very, very important for them. So I think this could be a tough matchup for uh, UCLA because Brady Manick, you know, he's a stretch four, so he's going to be 
you know, guarded by either Cody Riley, maybe Juzang. I don't know what they're going to choose between a big man or their, you know, small forward or power forward. I don't know who's going to really be guarding him, but he will stretch the floor and kind of open up the inside or the interior for RJ Davis to, you know, dribble, penetrate, and make a play on the outside, find someone like a Brady Manic to hit a three. So all things considered, this will be a great matchup. Two teams, you know, two of the most storied programs in college basketball, you know, this will be a great, great game to watch. Uh, I don't know if Hawkins will be playing or not, but UCLA can definitely still win without him. But they face a UNC team that, you know, I would think is the, or I think is the hottest team right now in the entire tournament. And overall, I think I I really want to choose UCLA because I got a little bit of a, a bias there towards UCLA. Um, but I would not be surprised whatsoever. I think this is another total toss-up of a game. And if UNC is hot going into this game and plays well, this could this could get a little ugly for UCLA, to be honest. And then moving on to the other two games on Friday in the Midwest side of the bracket, you have Kansas versus Providence as the second game of the day on Friday. And this is a tough one. You know, Kansas has cruised past Texas Southern in round one. They beat Creighton in a pretty tough game in round two. And the offense, they really rely on, or they did rely against Creighton on Remy Martin and his ball screens and, you know, what he's able to do out of ball screens. And the issue with, or sorry, then Creighton did a great job using drop coverage on those ball screens later in the game. They adjusted and they played that well. But the main issue here is what I was referencing just now, but I, you know, needed to finish my thought. They played great. Kansas relies on those Remy Martin, Remy Martin ball screens, and Creighton countered using drop coverage. Providence used a ton of drop coverage in their blowout win against Richmond in round two, and they, you know, they beat South Dakota State in round one in a good win. They destroyed Richmond by twenty-eight in round two. I didn't even watch most of that game because it was so bad, but Providence used a lot of drop coverage against Richmond. So if I'm guessing that's going to be their game plan heading into, you know, the game against Kansas to try to deny Remy Martin some, you know, playmaking abilities and try to force him to make some deeper twos, stuff like that, and, you know, force Kansas to have to make some tougher shots. But I think this kind of matchup is very interesting in terms of the strategy of the, it's almost like a little chess game. So Kansas in, you know, they need to counter by spacing the floor properly to give Remy Martin that space to operate so that if they do have that drop coverage, Remy Martin has the space to either make a decision if he wants to take a mid-range jumper, if he wants to try to find an open shooter, or if he wants to try to drive to the basket and, you know, maybe dump it off to the big man if he rolls, but the drop coverage makes it tough to dump it off to a rolling big man off a pick and roll. So, you know, this is a pretty interesting game for Kansas. Excuse me, for Kansas. Oche Abaji is leading the team in scoring this year. He's a great, great scorer at 19 points per game. He needs to step up. He has been, you know, his shot's been a little bit off so far in the tournament, but I love the fact that his teammates are still encouraging him to shoot the ball. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid to miss. You know, the ball will fall for someone as talented as Abaji. So, you know, seeing what happens kind of with Remy Martin and Abaji there, the dynamic duo for Kansas, that will be very, very important for them to get that game established with Remy Martin ball screens. And then, you know, just seeing Abaji score some points will be very important for them. But then for Providence, it's, they're an interesting team because they are a very experienced team. They are disciplined. They shoot the ball well. They play solid defense. They're an all around well-coached team. And then this year, the story of that, or the story of this year for them 
has been that they play and win close games, and that they also play to the level of their competition. So, you know, I do not expect them to get blown out in this game at all. And, you know, in the tournament, it's tough to play close games because, you know, when it comes down to the wire, one little mistake or one bucket is the difference maker. And when you're in a tight game, you don't want to give teams the opportunity to just have one lucky basket to win the game. But so far, the trend of them winning close games has continued. Obviously, round two is a blowout. But if this is a close game down the stretch, Providence is very comfortable in those situations. So I think this is going to be a good game. I have Kansas. I think I like Providence spread. They, you know, It says Kansas by seven and a half or seven. I think Providence is going to hold them to within five. But you know, it really depends on how well Remy Martin gets his game established and how well Abaji gets going and whether or not that drop coverage on Providence defense really will, you know, suffocate or make that Kansas offense struggle. But I think this is this will be a or that'll be a great game as well. And the final game on Friday is probably the least interesting out of all of the games in terms of the teams or the storylines. I mean, I don't know if it's tough to say that because these are all very exciting, great matchups. But Iowa State versus Miami, the lowest ranked game out of all of the Sweet 16 games, I think it's a 10 versus an 11, 10 being Miami, 11 being Iowa State. And Miami is a slight two and a half point favorite. But the crazy thing about Iowa State coming into this game is that no one expected them to be here this year. Last year, excuse me, last year, Iowa State was 2-22. and 22. This year, they have a new head coach, new personnel, and they're having a great year right now. I mean, they're in the Sweet 16. They had very impressive wins over LSU and Wisconsin. And interestingly, they didn't lose a game outside of the Big 12 this year. And the Big 12 is a tough, tough conference, probably the best conference in basketball this year. And very, very impressive of them to be making it this far. But they rely on their defense, which, you know, I think defensive-oriented teams are stronger than offensive teams. I think offense wins games, but defenses will win championships. And, you know, they held LSU to 37% field goal percentage, Wisconsin to 30% field goal percentage, and they suffocated both of those teams on the arc for three-point or their three-point shooting. And, you know, Wisconsin was, I believe, like two for 22. LSU was... I think like six for 18 or six for 20, something like that. Neither of those teams shot well, and they have great defense. They have great three-point defense. But the thing is, Miami, they have great guard play. They space the floor well, and they play fast. And the thing is, is all over the floor, they have shot makers. So, you know, whereas LSU and Wisconsin, they might have a few select sharpshooters or three-point shooters. I believe all of Miami's players that will play can make shots. They can make threes. So I think that's going to be a very interesting thing, kind of that three-point storyline of the three-point defense of Iowa State versus the three-point shooting on Miami. And then on the other side of the ball for Miami, they have a very disruptive defense that forces a lot of turnovers. And in round one, they had a great win against USC. That was a tough, tough game that came down to the very end. And then they beat down a great Auburn team that was once ranked number one in the nation this year. And they beat Auburn by 18 in round two. So Miami is looking really, really strong heading into this matchup. I like Miami coming into this one too. But, you know, both of these teams, very, very good storylines coming into this game. It's great that they both made it here. You know, I didn't have Miami getting here. 
I didn't have Iowa State getting here. So, you know, kudos to both of these programs for making it here. But that rounds out the Sweet 16 on Friday. And then we have the Elite Eight coming up on the weekend on the 26th and the 27th. And just kind of looking at some of these potential matchups, we could have a Gonzaga versus Texas Tech. That would be a great, great game, how Texas Tech plays that defensive, physical play style against Timmy and Holmgren. I think that would be a great game to watch. Obviously, if you have a Coach K versus Gonzaga, you know, Duke versus anybody will be a great storyline, especially because it's Coach K's last year. So, you know, out of the West, I think that's going to be a great Elite Eight matchup. In the South, if you have Villanova versus Arizona, for example, or Villanova-Houston, I think those are interesting games as well, just because of how well Villanova's playing. Even if Michigan makes it, I think that could be interesting because Hunter Dickinson against the big men of Arizona or the physical, tough defense of Houston, that will be a great storyline too of that Elite Eight in the South. And then you look at the East, you know, if Purdue takes out St. Peter's, it would be a Purdue versus either UCLA or UNC, and... That is a, definitely a tough matchup for both UNC and UCLA, trying to figure out how to defend Zach Eady inside. He's just so damn big that it poses serious matchup problems for UNC or UCLA. But that is a pretty cool Elite Eight matchup, especially, you know, if St. Peter's does, you know, shocks the world again, as I keep saying it, that would be incredible. The storyline, the Cinderella story, excuse me, continues. That would be great to see. Um, but the East, you know, maybe one of the less interesting, or the East and the Midwest really have maybe one of the more less interesting Elite Eight potential matchups. And then in the Midwest, if Kansas takes out Providence, you know, they would face Iowa State or Miami, and I think Kansas should win that too. So, you know, from here, if I had to pick my final four, I have Kansas coming out of the Midwest. You know, East is really, really tough between Purdue or UNC or UCLA. And if I'm picking my biased pick, I'd go with the UCLA Bruins. But I could easily see a Purdue or UNC coming out of the East as well. The South, I am going to have to just go with Arizona. Um, but if Houston wins, don't be surprised. They have made a lot of Final Fours recently, and they are playing great basketball, especially defensively. Villanova's playing great. They could make a run too. And then out of the West, I think it's got to be Gonzaga. Um, maybe Texas Tech 2 if they're able to pull off an upset against Gonzaga in the Elite 8. Watch out for that Elite 8 matchup in the, in the West. I think that's definitely the best matchup we're going to see. But all things considered, I'm very, very excited for a great, great slate of Sweet 16 and Elite 8 basketball this weekend. I will be back next week with a Final Four preview discussing all these games. I'm going to be very, very attentive, super excited to see what happens with these games. And... With that, I really want to thank you for listening in. This was my Sweet 16 preview, and I have some more stuff I want to discuss. You know, I'm still letting some chips fall with uh, with NFL offseason and MLB offseason. MLB starts very, very soon. So, you know, I'll definitely be doing a little season preview or discussing that as we get closer to opening day. Um, and wow, there have been some crazy moves this offseason in the NFL a lot of movement in the ML or in the MLB as well. So there's a lot to talk about as we approach NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. You know, I got plenty more stuff coming up and I hope you guys are excited. So with that, I thank you. I hope you have a great Thursday afternoon, a great Friday, a great weekend, and I hope we get to see some great basketball this weekend for the Sweet 16 and Elite 8.